Welcome to the Melton Forge Works podcast. I'm going to take you along on my day-to-day adventures in bladesmithing and blacksmithing. I'll be talking about the people involved in the craft and the tools and the methods that go along with it. So thanks for listening. Okay, it's Tuesday, October the 13th, and weather weather got warm again a couple days ago, but it's cooled off now. It's getting nice. Perfect forging time of year. Um, I'm continuing to work on the Rubik-handled steak flipper things, um, and I've gotten some orders for bottle openers, and I've got a big batch of crosses I've got to make, but I did cut some billets for hammers. So I got some hammers that are coming up that I've got to get done, and I hope to knock those out this coming weekend, if at all possible. But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about for a minute is hot stamping um, steel. So like your touch mark, um, stamping letters and that kind of stuff. Um, with, with these orders for stake turners, I started offering an option to add initials to the, uh, to these items, to, you know, stake turners and bottle openers. And that seems to have opened up the world of groomsmen gifts. And so I'm getting a lot of orders for people who are giving these things as gifts with initials on them. And, you know, stamping those initials in, it either works right the first time or I fight it. And, uh, I'm using a three eighths inch letter stamp and uh, stamping the letters on the, uh, like on the head of the railroad spike. And so most of the time it's three initials, sometimes it's two, but because it's like a curved domed surface, I have to rig up this weird uh, way of of stamping those initials in using my swage block. And uh, it's been working okay, but you know, like I said, every once in a while, one just fights me, and I have to go grind off the initial that I just messed up or double stamp, and and then stamp in another one, or just chunk the thing and start all over. But um, I'm using these stamps that I got from Harbor Freight. They're not the best, um, but they're but they work okay. And I've actually bought two sets of them because one set I got. Some of the letters were kind of way off to one side and they just didn't stamp very well. So I've kind of combined two sets of those letter stamps to make one half decent set. But, um, you know, it's really hard to find a really good vintage set of three eighths inch metal letter stamps. I've been watching eBay for a little while, and uh, every once in a while, one will come up. Um, but when they do, they're fairly they're fairly pricey. And so, um, if anybody out there knows a place to get a you know a better made stamp set than the ones from like Harbor Freight, you know, hit me shoot me a message. I'd be interested in finding that out. But um, for all my other touch marks that I hot stamp steel. I get all those from Jera Metal Arts, J-E-R-A, Jera Metal Arts. Um, I usually work with Maria Honick through uh, Facebook Messenger for those, and their prices are really reasonable. They do great work. They they have never um, had an issue with any of the designs or 
or stamps I've requested. I think I've got a total of seven or eight stamps from them now. And uh, <clears throat> I've been thinking of making a smaller stamp um, with basically just my initials using the same kind of font that I, I use for my Melton logo for uh, smaller items. You know, my Melton logo is a little over a half inch wide and um, sometimes I need to stamp something fairly small. So I'm thinking of getting a uh, stamp made with just my initials put together in there but if you're looking for hot stamping check out Jera Metal Arts they've been really really good to deal with but um so I've been stamping those railroad spikes and I'm starting to stamp bottle openers and um, so each stamp is an individual you know letter stamp and trying to get three letters in a row perfectly lined up on a uh, on a piece of forged steel where I'm striking it with a sledgehammer is sometimes uh, just not the best way to do it. Sometimes I get mishits. Sometimes the letter, you know, strikes heavily on one side more so than the other, and then I have to kind of lean the stamp over and try to hit it again and not miss. And so anyway, I've been thinking of taking um, these stamps and making a tool holder that goes into my fly press because my fly press has a hole that goes through the fly press and through the table that it's on it on so I could actually stick you know a, a railroad spike down into that hole and you know and swing the press down and, and do the stamping that way I'm gonna have to figure out some way to kind of fabricate something to hold that spike in place and and to be able to move it around you know just slightly so that I can move the letters you know, from left to right as I make the stamps. But um, I think the hole in the middle of the fly press is plenty big enough for there to be um, that much movement. So uh, anyway, I think I'm going to use some little round donuts that I've got. I've got a machinist friend that gave me some little chunks of 4140 they're an inch thick. They're about three inches in diameter and they have a one inch hole right in the middle. And they were off cuts from some project he was doing. And they, they make perfect little bolster plates for, you know, for driving drifts in at the power hammer or the press. But I think I'm going to be able to take one of those little donuts of 4140 and stick it right underneath the uh, fly press and just kind of slide the railroad spike down into that. And, uh, and see if that works. I might have to weld a couple of little bars across the top of the little donut so that it holds the spike head, you know, aligned correctly. But anyway, I'm just kind of rambling now, if you can't tell. A lot of times I use this podcast to uh, work, out, <laughs> work out tooling ideas or, or talk about ideas that are running through my head. But um, anyway... If you got thoughts about how I might use a fly press to stamp the head of a railroad spike better than what I've just uh, talked about, shoot me a message. I'd love to hear about it. So anyway, I'll see you in the next segment later. Well, today is uh, Thursday, October the 22nd. It's the day before the tire hammer build down in Louisiana. And, um, 
I am running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to get everything that needs to be done done before I leave to be out of town for a few days. And um, anyway, um, I've had a lot of state turners again that I've had to be working on uh, this week. Sorry, you're going to hear some background noise. I'm filling up the aquarium in my office. But um, so I've been working on these stake turners. And uh, I had a thought when I was working on them last night. I was using the tire hammer a lot. And I've, I've been using the tire hammer um, almost exclusively uh, for these stake turners, which... Basically, it's just a long, drawn-out piece of steel. You know, I'm taking a railroad spike and stretching it out about 16, 17 inches. And um, I've, I've been drawn to the tire hammer for that operation more than the, the Anyang ST88. And I was trying to put my finger on why. And, you know, why was I using the tire hammer so much more than the 88 when the 88 obviously is a more capable and more powerful hammer um and i was just trying to put my finger on why i kept gravitating towards the tire hammer and i think it's a couple of things um i can't quite put my finger on why i think this but i just have this feeling that a mechanical hammer, a mechanical power hammer, just lends itself better or feels better to drawing long tapers on small diameter steel than a larger air hammer. Um, that's just kind of my anecdotal experience and just my opinion on the matter, but I don't know if it's the, the whippiness of the ram, you know, the ram in a in the tire hammer is connected to a, a couple of arms with a spring on the top. It's called a DuPont linkage. And as the ram travels up, the spring uh, opens and then compresses and that forces the ram back down. And you kind of get this whip action where it whips the ram back down on the work. And, you know, I don't know if that is the reason why it feels like it works better, but I just, I keep going to the tire hammer to draw these things out. And um, so in the past month or so, a month or two, I guess, I've made a bunch of these stake turners and I've been using that tire hammer. So my proficiency with the tire hammer has gotten a lot better. You know, I'm much more comfortable with it. Um, to some degree, it feels like the tire hammer is is getting more broken in. Um, things feel smoother on it. Um, my control is a lot better on it. Um, I would say at this point, I have as much control on that tire hammer as I do on the 88. Um, being able to make light, small hits versus heavy blows. But um, back to um, why I'm using it more. You know, another reason I think I, I'm going to the tire hammer more is the die size. Um, you know, the die size on the tire hammer is obviously a lot smaller than the die size on the 88. And there are many times where the big die size on the 88 is 
so much nicer and so much better than a tire hammer for, uh, you know, for using tooling and, and doing other operations like that. But the die size on the tire hammer lends itself pretty well to drawing out this small diameter steel. And then the last thing I think that really um, draws me to the tire hammer is, um, is and this is kind of weird, but it's the noise. Um, so when I fire up the 88, you know, it's this chuffing monster. You know, it's like just constantly chuffing air. Um, and it's fairly loud. And of course, I'm using hearing protection when I'm using both hammers. But um, a lot of times in the shop, I've got my earbuds in and then I've got my hearing protection over those. And I'm listening to an audiobook or a podcast or music or something. And even with hearing protection on, um, you know, the, the 88 is a pretty loud beast. And if I combine that with running the propane forge in the shop, you know, then it's just, it's crazy loud in there. And, um, I've been using the induction forge a lot, obviously for a lot of this work that I've been doing. And it's, it's completely silent pretty much, except for the beep you hear and the fan noise from the water cooler, which is not that bad. Um, but the tire hammer, when the tire hammer is turned on, uh, the motor is sitting off to the side with a pulley on it, and it's just sitting there spinning. But it's not making much noise at all. It's nearly silent until you press the pedal and engage the ram and hit the work. And then, then the noise comes in. And, and that's, not that, that's not bad. But um, when I move away from the tire hammer to get a heat, uh, you know, I don't hear that. I don't hear the noise of the hammer. And I know that sounds kind of nitpicky, um, but the, but that is a, I think that is a reason why I keep gravitating towards using the tire hammer uh, a lot for this kind of work is it makes working in the shop more pleasant. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not as loud and distracting and I can kind of just do what I'm doing and, and, um, kind of let my mind focus on what I'm listening to while I'm working and not that I'm not focusing on what I'm doing, but you know, once you make something so many times, you don't really have to think about it so much. And so anyway, those are just reasons that I think that I keep gravitating towards the tire hammer for this kind of work over the 88. And I've had several people ask me lately, Hey, you know, which, which hammer would you buy if you were buying, a, if, if you only had money to buy one hammer, would you buy the 88 or the tire hammer? And I mean, if I had the money in the budget, I would probably buy the 88 again. But if the budget was constricted and, you know, I had enough money to buy a tire hammer, I would not think twice about buying a tire hammer um, versus, you know, saving up three times that amount of money to try and get an 88. Because I think having a power hammer beats having no power hammer by a long shot. And you could get a tire hammer in your shop for a third of the cost of an Anyang 88, usually. And use that tire hammer to make more money uh, faster than you can you know, without having a power hammer in the shop. So anyway, just my two cents on tire hammers versus... Uh, self-contained air hammers. They both have their place. I love the self-contained air hammer. Wouldn't want to do without it. Um, 
but I'm continually uh, impressed with the Clay Spencer tire hammer, especially this this version now with the solid ram and uh, you know the 70 pound ram weight. That that it's a, it's an impressive mechanical hammer, and it it feels and works um, every bit, if not as good or better. Uh, than a little giant 50 pound hammer and uh, I noticed that you know the the sound of the tire hammer running when it's when it's going it sounds uh, and feels just a whole lot like running a uh, little giant 50 um, but anyway I'm headed down to Louisiana to build uh, another one of those uh, 70 pound tire hammers and uh, so the next episode is going to be all about the tire hammer build um, and I'm going to try to get a lot more audio this time from uh, during the build and I plan on taking a good bit of video this time as well. So stay tuned for that if you're interested. Um, there's going to be some really great people down there to, to work with. I know, uh, of course, John Perilou is running the show and he's a phenomenal blacksmith, a great guy to leech information off of and, uh, and a, and a really good friend. And, um, Brian and Ed Brazil are going to be at the Tire Hammer Build, so it's going to be nice to catch up with those guys. Um, and just a whole bunch of other blacksmiths that I haven't met yet uh, in person, but have talked to online. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, really looking forward to the, the social aspect of the build. And, um, and to be honest, that's one of the biggest reasons why I decided to go back again was um, for the experience. Um, more so than the need for another tire hammer. So anyway, stay tuned for that. And um, that'll probably be it for this episode so that I can focus um, on the class in the next one. So I'll see you then. Well, that does it for episode 35. Uh, like I said, I'm getting ready to go down to Louisiana. So the next episode is going to be all tire hammer all the time. So um, if you're sick of hearing about tire hammers, you might well skip the next episode or two because that's what it's pretty much going to be all about. But um, I'm really hoping to catch some of the uh, blacksmiths that are going to be there in person uh, for maybe little impromptu interviews um, for the show. So um, Hopefully that'll happen. Look forward to that. Thanks again for all your questions and comments. Um, and if you've got ideas for topics to talk about on the podcast, shoot me a message on Instagram and uh, we'll do it. So thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.